0: Welcome to Cinema of Meaning, the podcast that seeks to explore the depths of what cinema has to offer. My name is Tom, you may know me as the creator of Like Stories of Old, and I'm joined by my fellow video essayist Thomas Flight to talk about Martin Scorsese's Shadow Island. Before we begin, Cinema of Meaning is a Nebula original podcast, meaning that on Nebula you can listen to all of our episodes ad-free and a week early, and you'll get access to a monthly bonus episode be sure to use our personal link that's nebula.tv slash cinema of meaning. You can also find this one in the show notes to get a $20 discount on a yearly subscription. Now, back to Shadow Island. I always keep forgetting this is a
1: Scorsese movie. Uh, I don't know why, but... Um, it's a little bit out of his his regular wheelhouse, I think. It feels maybe more like something Fincher would have done, or I don't know, there's, there's yeah. definitely like scorsese flair to it but yeah it's it's not exactly his usual fare
0: Mm -hmm. yeah how many times have you seen it like what's what was your initial experience with it
1: i think this is only the second time i've seen it it might be the third uh the first time i saw it was Hmm. well over a decade ago a long time ago and i don't think i've watched it since then my memory of it was pretty vague And it's one that I watched, I think, before I had seen a lot of other Scorsese material. Uh, I came at it kind of early and before I was really into film that much, kind of early Mm. in my interest in film. And uh, I I remember what made me want to revisit it, besides the fact that it had been so long since I'd seen it, was I had reviewed it on Letterboxd at one point a long time ago. Uh, gave it like kind of a low rating. I don't remember what it was, but some people had commented and were like, "Please revisit this one. Like rewatch this one. I think you might like it more." Um, so I wanted to revisit it and kind of reevaluate it. But yeah, it's it's kind of Scorsese's the closest thing to like Scorsese shot at like a horror film. I think I forgot mm-hmm. kind of how close to an actual horror film this is. I remembered it more as sort of like a thriller. A mystery thriller with some twists, but it tips pretty heavily just kind of into that straight horror sort of category. Yeah, it was, it was definitely fascinating to re-watch. It was really fun to watch it with my wife who had never seen it, because I remembered kind of mm. the twist, and I don't think I had seen it since the first time I watched it, so this was the first time watching it, kind of knowing what was coming, and there's a lot that I won't spoil anything yet, but there's a lot that sort of you reevaluate on the on the second watch. Yeah. Uh so it was fun watching that and watching also getting to watch it unfold for someone else for the first time. I'm very interested to hear your take on this one. I don't remember why I disliked it the first time, but I have thoughts, mm-hmm. I have a lot of thoughts about it and it's like maybe some mixed feelings um coming back to it. But yeah, that that was my first or that's the summary of where I stand, where I was coming from going into this, which is very yeah. messy and complicated. <laughs> how, how, how was it for you?
0: Funnily enough, it's kind of the same. I think I also only seen it once around the time it came out. So that's 2010. That's well over a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. I remember being somewhat underwhelmed by it. And that was specifically because like a lot of my friends had already seen it. And they right. were like, oh, you got to see this movie. It's such a such a mind-blowing twist and <laughs> right, you'll never right. see it coming. And so then naturally you go into a movie like that, like, okay, w- what's the twist? Yeah. This is not to say like I was able to figure it out on the first go, but when you go into a movie like that and it, it's obviously a mystery, it's obviously building to some kind of revelation. And so then... When it happened, I thought like, okay, so this is the, you know, you, you kind of expect a twist in a movie like this. So whenever yeah. people are kind of emphasizing or doubling down on that. So you, I was expecting like a twist after the twist right. or like I thought, okay, so now this is going on. This is the revelation. But what's really going on, you know, like right. I was still searching for, I was kind of not letting myself be... Hit with the right. weight of that twist because I was I was an- anticipating something else and then that obviously didn't game because you know this was the movie there wasn't anything more to it yeah and so I was like oh okay I guess <laughs> I guess right. that twist was interesting too or unexpected too and I think we can jump straight into spoilers with this one right it's most people have seen this at some point yeah except for
1: your wife apparently <laughs> <laughs> and it's gonna be it's gonna be hard to. I think kind of talk about without just like diving into, to what's Mm -hmm. going on. But I think there's, there's an interesting little discussion to be had here about like that kind of twist dynamic in a movie. I don't think we've talked about one on the podcast, any movies on the podcast that really operate heavily in that format. It it was kind of an interesting, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a specific era in like the mid to like Around, you know, early 2010s, mid-2000s, where kind of twist movies were this big thing. Yep. And I think they were very popular because people liked talking mm-hmm. about them on the internet, maybe. That drove part of it. But also they're fun. But there's a, there's an interesting dynamic there where a lot of them can kind of end up being, oh, I think, have what you're describing as being kind of underwhelming especially if you know it's kind of this story that centers around a twist going in, a lot of times how impactful a, a big, huge twist like this can be, it depends on sort of being blindsided by it. And so if you're just like mm-hmm. looking the whole time for waiting for it to happen, it takes some of the air out of that, which can mean two things. I think like one, it can hurt the experience for people who know the twist is coming, but also it can kind of, make re-watching some of those movies a little bit weird. You know, sometimes re-watching it the second time is cool because you can look for the clues and you can see, you know, why you, you can kind of catch the little, oh, like that line indicates that. And I found that to be the case here. Mm-hmm. You know, stuff you pick up on where you're like, oh, I, I I see the double meaning in that or whatever that points to towards the reveal. But also it can kind of dramatically undercut the movie because... If the twist is kind of this important piece of the structure, if you know that's coming, I don't know. There's some movies that I think rely so heavily on that twist for the dramatic impact that knowing that kind of sucks the air out of out of rewatching them a little bit. And I'm not sure where I come down on this one. I think like it doesn't completely escape that dynamic. Like, I, I think I was still even a little bit underwhelmed watching it a second time, but I did get something out of it, and I think there's still interesting stuff about the movie to discuss. Did you feel like you got mm-hmm. stuff out of this movie dramatically the second time, even kind of knowing what was coming?
0: I feel like I know exactly what you're talking about because that's something that I felt somewhat conflicted about because you have this twist in this movie dramatically reframes, obviously, the whole story, like the whole context of the initial premise. And from here on, we're going to go... Yeah, spoilers. spoilers I don't want (laughs) to dance around it anymore. So from this point, we know that Teddy, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, is actually Andrew, who's actually been this patient. And so this whole mystery, like detective game, was basically like a literal game. Like it was a setup as part of his psychological treatment, treatment, I guess. yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah. And, like, what I liked about revisiting this movie, knowing the twist, is that you, indeed, you can see, you pick up on all these little details. Like, right in the opening, you can see the guards being, like, super suspicious at the start of this whole thing. Yeah. And knowing that the twist is, then you know, like, oh, they're not being wary of the outside detective. They're being wary about having this very violent, like, their most violent criminal <laughs> right set loose and they have to act like it's uh, you can kind of see Chuck, the Mark Ruff, Ruffalo character like he's struggling with his gun Like especially on second viewing like you can tell he's never actually hold one or he doesn't know how to handle one. There's a lot of these little details. It's all but telling it straight to your face. I think in fact the, the, the sequence where Leo is confronting that guy he is later revealed to have beaten up and that guy, like, straight on tells him, like, all yeah. this is for you, like, this is all, yeah. it's all like a charade or something, which ties in nicely to the, an earlier line where they say, like, oh, crazy people can say whatever they want and they you'll never believe them. So I kind of like that they snuck it in. Like, right. the truth is kind of there in plain sight and you you dismiss it because it's being projected at you from this untrustworthy character. Yeah. But anyway, so I, I kind of like that. And also, I liked... Picking up more nuances in Leo's performance, mm-hmm. like there's there's something, especially knowing the twist, there's something compellingly pathetic about his portrayal of this detective. Like he's, you can feel like he's sort of pretend playing, <laughs> right, he's, yes he's, yeah. And I feel like that's a very difficult task for him as an actor to kind of convey this character, but also do it with like ninety nine percent, like. Be conviction rate or like be believability.
1: Yes. He also does a good job of like slowly really slowly kind of transforming the performance. You can see the character kind of transform even before the reveal happens. Leo in in the performance starts to bring out these elements where he feels more kind of crazed. I think the first time you watch it if you're not picking, if you don't know what the context is you're like, oh, he's just becoming more desperate because they're trying to make him see or he's being drugged or whatever. But you can also just feel his his character kind of starting to fray before the reveal. And I think that transition is pulled off pretty well by Leo.
0: Mm-hmm. That's also some, some funny little deliberate continuity errors in this movie where I think the most glaring one is where uh, Leo is interrogating this Prisoner or this prisoner, the patient, Mrs. Kears, I think she was called, and she asks Mark Ruffalo's character, Chuck, to get like a glass of water, and then he brings it back, and you can see her drinking from the cup, but she's like, she has an empty hand, there's no glass in her yeah. hand, and that's because Leo is kind of projecting that away or blocking it out, and then... There's a weird edit there where the glass is empty immediately, like there was no water in it to begin with. And that scene, by the way, also has some interesting framing going on where you can see every shot of a patient has like a guard in the background. And then Chuck, the one with Chuck is clear, but then the one with Leo also has a guard in the background suggesting that. Oh, interesting, yeah. So there's these little visual details that hint at the fact that leo is also actually a patient there so that's all the stuff i liked it yeah can really pick apart the game and you can see the hints that they placed there and the way that scorsese played around with it visually and with all these little details and these deliberate little mistakes the downside for me and i think that's what you were getting at is that that first experience of the movie that that initial mystery completely like shattered that's And I feel like there's a regret in not being able to relive that particular experience. Like you know, like when the moment Leo steps on this island, like hes you already know he's not a detective. None of this matters. Like all this is make-believe. Yeah. And that makes the whole thing, it is a charade, but it also makes the dramatic story or what made the story so dramatic at first also kind of feel like a charade now. And that to me, that's the kind of the part that's, undermined a little bit. None of that initial mystery feels as compelling anymore because you know it's not just not what you think. It's like it's completely not what you thought it was. It's something else entirely. And I'm not sure if I like the movie, if I like that less or if I just regret not being able to relive that again. (laughs) Right, right. But that's yeah a, a kind of natural consequence with any mystery movie I guess that has a twist like this or even without a clear twist like you can only solve a puzzle once and after that
1: you know how it's done it's a dangerous game as as like a critic i think to start playing the like here's how you could fix this movie kind of like game but i'm gonna play it anyway because you know (laughs) (laughs) dangerous games are fun (laughs) (laughs) but like i think i can imagine a way in which you could have had more depth available for a rewatch. Kind of what I wanted was if he was having some kind of conversations and there's a little bit, a tiny bit of this there, but it's not enough to really like dig your teeth into on a rewatch. But if he was having like conversations with, you know, suspects that he was interrogating or when he's going and talking to uh, this woman whose name I'm not remembering, who is kind of the stand in for his wife, like she killed her children Rachel, I think you could have these conversations where the dialogue between Teddy and the other characters kind of takes on significance, not in terms of the plot twist necessarily, or the literal details, but kind of how the character is grappling with the emotional fallout of the event and the repression and stuff like that. I think that's the big piece that's missing for me that would make this like A very compelling movie, at least for multiple watches. The most interesting stuff is kind of after the reveal, suddenly you're like, okay, now we get to dig into this character's trauma and what's really going on with him and how is he feeling about it and kind of this guilt that's destroying him and how he responds to that. But it doesn't feel like it really, unless I'm missing something, maybe there's examples you can think of, but it doesn't feel like it really... Examines that much before the reveal kind of comes about. You sort of have him playing with his guilt over his wife dying, and like there's the trauma about him in the war. So there's these suggestions mm-hmm. that he's grappling with trauma as a as the Marshall character. It wasn't in a way where I felt like okay, now going back over it, there's new information here that you know, deepens my understanding of like how he was dealing with this trauma or responding to it. I think that's really what I would have wanted that would have deepened kind of that rewatch. But this is the difficult part is the movie is playing the part, quote unquote, of being a mystery movie for like it's fully committing to that bit for so long, which is part of why you really lets you buy into the character and the whole story. And then that, makes the twist hit really hard so it's possible that you know inserting more of that material early on would have undercut things would have undercut that and made it a little bit too i don't know i'm just kind of speculating as to Mm -hmm. to maybe what feels like it's missing to me because i think I, i feel the same way
0: yeah it's a tricky thing to pull off a twist like that because it has to make sense on a first viewing but then in the second one as we talked about it has to also make sense in this new context knowing what the eventual revelation is going to be yeah and i think that the movie did do a good job at setting up these uh, red herrings these like distractions that kind of distract you from what's really going on while being close enough to the real thing that it That when the twist happens, it does make it's not completely out of the blue. Like I can imagine a version of this movie where it was where Teddy was so convincing as a marshal that his that the eventual twist would have been totally out of the left field. And a good twist has to be surprising, but it also has to make you go like, "Oh, I yeah yeah (laughs) kind of felt that something." Now it makes sense. You know, it yeah it has to not only like subvert your your understanding of the movie but it also has to make everything fall into place or into a full understanding of what's going on and i think that that's something that the movie did very well in my opinion it doesn't show maybe enough of what leo's character is actually dealing with but it does show a lot of the like close enough to be relatable i guess or to to have it make sense in the end like for example the uh, as you said like the drama of him killing his Wife and mourning the death of his children is replaced as the martial version by him feeling trauma over killing maybe the SS guards and dealing with the death of the children he found in those camps. So there's the the emotion there is similar enough to make the jump from one to the other after the twist has happened, while yeah. still having this, the roughly the same story beats. I'm not sure. But you were talking about if there was a way to bring that more close or bring that more strongly into the pre-twist story. Right. I did did notice this time, like, at first you only see the first flashbacks you see that are the ones in Dachau, the uh, concentration camps. So you can tell, like, that's initially set up, oh, this is his, this is the marshal and this is his trauma. Like, he has been to war, he saw the concentration camps, and that's what he's struggling with now. But I noticed this time around, like the first reveal of the flashback of his, of what actually happens, like the uh, the the image of the three children, which is distinctively not the image from the camp is, it's I think around the one hour mark. So, or at least before the midpoint of the movie. So well before the actual twist happens. So there is, a, I think an early enough, seed that's planted there that kind of instills that sense of doubt like oh maybe there's more going on here than just the war trauma but interestingly enough that also comes with its own red herring where then teddy reveals that he's actually searching for himself uh, latest i think he he was called Yeah, yeah when he is teddy he refers to the latest as being the arson that set his apartment Right on fire or set the apartment building on fire that also killed his wife. So you you get a sense that there's more trauma going on, but then it it also gives you a temporary motivation for, oh, maybe that's related to that, even though it won't be until the end until, you know, the full context of it. So it is, I think, more intricate than a lot of twist movies. It is, once the twist happens, it it leaves very little room to grapple with the full implications of it and that's yeah maybe something that could have been uh, expanded on a little bit even though the movie already is like two hours and 20 right, minutes or right. something so yeah. yeah yeah i think
1: i think some of what you're pointing to is an example of i guess kind of what i'm asking for where there's uh, i'm thinking of that specific there's one specific conversation that he has with chuck about latest and kind of why he doesn't want to kill him or kind of how he doesn't feel sort of anger towards latest. And that's kind of an interesting avenue to explore where considering the fact that he's actually talking about himself, you know, there's, there's some interesting material there. It does a good job of pointing you towards where the twist is going, but like, I guess what I wanted that I wanted there to be more emotional continuity for kind of Teddy Mm -hmm. interrogating his own guilt prior to that again that's kind of hinted at in several places but it never feels like his character to me it never feels like his mm-hmm. character is actually really digging into that that guilt emotionally yeah, which i yeah, think yeah. would might have might have been uh compelling to explore um but i d- i want to say i don't i i don't want to just critique it i jumped towards sort of the critique but there is a lot of stuff that i think it is doing effectively. You mentioned a bunch of stuff already. And uh, one of the things that I really like is kind of the storm and how that's used in the very oppressive environment of the storm. Um, and there's this suggestion kind of towards the end. The timeline of the, the movie is, is very hard to get a grip on. It takes place over a couple of days, it, it feels like, but it's a little bit like the lighthouse where you're not exactly sure how much the passage of time is kind of this subjective experience that the characters are having and what what's real. But then the the very final final scenes, uh the grounds are kind of improbably like sunny and cleaned up compared to mm-hmm. uh the kind of wreckage of the aftermath of the storm. It felt to me like there was a suggestion there that maybe at least to some extent the kind of the storm that's happening is this this more subjective event part of uh part of Teddy's kind of hallucination and a subjective experience. I don't know if you felt that way as well.
0: Yeah, I wasn't 100 percent sure if the storm actually happened because Ben Kingsley character, he also mentions that when he's he's revealing to Teddy that it's always the same story, he doesn't he specifically mention, oh, it's there's the storm and then this and then that. And so right. it does suggest that in his mind there's always this big storm otherwise it would be pretty convenient that this test or this experiment would take place right at the moment that there's going to be right. a significant hurricane coming over yeah, the yeah. island but yeah then again a lot of the i'm not sure how that holds up on um, i i didn't re-watch this movie specifically looking out for oh, what what if the storm isn't real like right. does it still fit in because a lot of the actions that the characters take not just teddy but also those around them seem to be in response to or based on this storm being a real thing like the change of clothes the the everybody being being wet uh, the whole thing with the chopping the the fallen branches and stuff and uh, yeah i'm not sure about that
1: yeah i mean i think the suggestion there if if that is the case is that you kind of have this revelation as you go along that there are these moments that were pure hallucination. You kind of realize, oh, you know, Chuck falling to his death, like a lot of these things were pure mm-hmm. hallucination. The uh, Rachel in the cave, yeah, yeah. The the cave, the rats. There's there's a bunch of stuff, and obviously the the kind of visions he's having. Those are those are the most obvious things. Those are kind of framed as dreams too, but beyond that. You know, we're well, we're solidly within his subjective experience. Like, I don't think the first scene on the boat where they're riding in, I don't know that they, I mean, maybe it's, maybe they took him out on the ferry and brought him back in as a part of the role play. Yeah. It's possible. I can imagine they just did like a little loop. Right. I well,
0: have, have, had them be both on the boat until like Chuck was like, okay, he seems right. into it now and that's <laughs> what we have back.
1: Yeah. But how much of that was just, in Teddy's imagination as well. I think mm-hmm. I, one of the things I like about the movie is that it doesn't sit you down at the end and go, oh, the storm was fake, blah, blah, blah. This, you know, it there's no, it uh, manages to avoid, besides the little scene in the lighthouse where they're kind of directly talking to Teddy and kind of telling him, hey, you don't believe this. There is a little bit of that, like, okay, now we're going to tell you exactly what what is really going on. But it manages to sidestep feeling like they're speaking to the viewer in that moment where there's like the mm, na- they're yeah. like expositing directly to you. It feels like they're actually saying that for Teddy's benefit. And there are a lot of details that they leave kind of in question. And they, they never sit down and like, okay, now we're going to explain every element, which I do really like. I like that it kind of stays as this this mystery of this subjective experience that you only ever really see mostly from the inside, except for a little bit at the end where you perhaps see a more objective view of reality. But I think like the majority of the movie is really framed kind of explicitly within Teddy slash Andrew's like subjective experience, which I think is cool. It does well.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think also with the storm it doesn't really matter that much if it was real or not because I think it either way it still functions as this metaphor for Teddy's inner right. yes. landscape and the the kind of the storm that's raging within his own psyche. I like what you say about the whole movie basically being Teddy's subjective point of view because even then the the little mistakes sort of make sense where you have the the woman drinking a cup that's not there, or just drinking from an empty mm-hmm. hand is like this. At first I thought, like, oh, maybe there's a few hints at like the objective uh reality or showing the the what's really going on and what Teddy is perceiving. But I guess the, the little mistake then is Teddy's subjective because he blocks it out. But at the same time, that's also it's it's communicating to us that something is, is off, off, like yeah. that this this is not the complete objective view of reality even though you only see it in like your you might catch it in your peripheral vision and maybe it suggests that because this movie is so in the subjective mind of teddy is that it suggests that he might have got that little moment too if he even like in his own peripheral vision and that that in turn kind of suggests that there is a gateway into his more that's the whole thing that these doctors are looking for. They kind of they're trying to reach be beneath the illusion or the delusion and find the real Andrew in there. Or, and that I feel like those little mistakes, those little moments where you can poke holes into this yeah. version of reality, demonstrate that this is a potential pathway for Leo's character. That he is able to at least. Like even if he's caught up in the delusion, he is able to see like the rough edges around it and which ultimately might help convince him at the end or let him help him to let himself be convinced that there is, that, that
1: this is not the real world as it, right. as it is, but his own. There's a moment, I, I'm i not going to be able to remember exactly how it unfolds, but he walks in and he first kind of sees who he believes is the German psychiatrist kind of sitting in the chair in that one room, they talk to each other. The psychiatrist is talking about defense mechanisms and keeps pointing out kind of Teddy's defense mechanisms. And then there's a moment later, he has a conversation. It's before the, I I believe it's before the reveal to Teddy anyway, but he's Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, they're talking about patients kind of the the way psychiatrists will interact with patients and they have a conversation again about defense mechanisms and there's kind of this awareness that Teddy has that you know they might call certain uh, he says something about like seeing survival instincts as defense mechanisms like a psychiatrist might see survival instincts as defense mechanisms when dealing oh, with yeah. a patient.
0: That's the conversation in the cave, right? Oh with yes, the, yeah, you're right. The the quote-unquote real Rachel, who turns out to be a hallucination, yes. but she tells Teddy about her being this acclaimed or respected psychiatrist who was essentially framed, so she says, by the, the institutional Shutter Island and that she kind of explains how it can a psychiatrist can manipulate people into being perceived as insane or deranged or whatever. And that whenever that label sticks, then everything that that patient does or that that person does becomes an expression of that insanity instead of, as you said, like a, a natural fear becomes paranoia or right, healthy right. self-defensive mechanism becomes this denial of reality or this uh, escapist behavior or something along those lines and i think the movie did touch on some very real issues there with how we deal with mental issues or that sort of stuff but i feel like that's a a conversation that would have been more interesting if uh, leo's character actually wasn't a patient if he really was just maybe like a disgruntled marshal that was coming to this island on this personal vendetta and then eventually got corrupted or broken down to a point where he would become admitted as a patient. But uh, yeah, that that would just have been a completely different movie Then,
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) This episode was brought to you by MUBI, the curated streaming service showing handpicked exceptional films from around the globe, which both Thomas and I have been big fans of for many
1: years. There's a few films I want to recommend real quick. One is specifically for Tom. I started watching it the other day and it's called America as Seen by a Frenchman. And Tom and I sometimes have discussions about Uh. our different perspectives on American culture. And this is a really interesting documentary that kind of shows a lot of footage from America in the 60s, but presents it in this very sort of obviously from the perspective of a foreigner. It's a fascinating documentary, and I think Tom might be interested in it. And if you're listening to this... That does sound interesting. And that sounds interesting to you, you might be interested as well. There's another documentary on Mubi right now in the U.S. that I really enjoy called The Wolf Pack that I definitely recommend people check out. And if documentaries aren't your speed, they recently added Bong Joon-ho's The Host, which is great and worth worth a watch. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. There's, there's way more than that. That just barely scratches the surface. So check one of those out or just explore the library. It's a great way to find really cool, interesting stuff to watch.
0: Yeah. You can get a 30 day extended free trial when you go to com slash cinema
1: of meaning, or just follow the link in the show notes. Thanks again to Mubi for sponsoring this episode. I guess maybe this would be an interesting place to kind of pivot into discussing some of that because I think this movie is most effective as sort of a horror film, a scary experience. You know, there's a lot of imagery in it that's kind of unsettling and, and horrifying that that second big dream sequence where it's like, you know, the child coming alive in dark out is very unsettling. And a lot of that is, is, really well-framed. Um, and I think kind of the narrative of, oh, I'm, maybe I'm actually crazy uh, and paranoia, all those things are interesting, t- is interesting territory to explore within a horror film, and it it functions well kind of as mm-hmm. a horror film. But I think the structure of the movie and kind of where it's going and the the reveal that Teddy is just sort of this delusional guy who killed his wife, kind of... I don't think this movie really has anything that meaningful to say about mental illness. Like, it maybe works... Hmm. If anything, it has interesting things to say about, like, kind of our own repression of guilt and how we deal with trauma and guilt metaphorically. But I think, like, if you're taking it... lit, You can't really take it on any kind of literal level in how it's engaging with... Yeah. Like tra- trauma or mental illness, because I think it's just too out there and like wild and not based enough in how those things actually work, at least based on my understanding of them, to really be like commenting that meaningfully about them. But I think maybe there's still interesting material there if we're looking at that as a metaphor for kind of just how people in general deal with trauma or guilt or these kinds of things. I don't know. What Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, if, if it has anything actually to say about mental illness?
0: When you look at Teddy's character, I, I don't think there's a portrait of a real mental disorder there that holds up to psychological scrutiny. Right. Like at yeah. least not as far as I know. I think the more interesting question regarding mental illness here is probably with regards to um, Teddy's or Andrew's wife and the way she did the harm that she did because of her illness being neglected in part by Teddy. And that's also part of his guilt that he did not recognize what, uh, what, what she was going through and didn't want to get the help that she needed. And that's what eventually led to this whole tragedy I noticed it more this time, but there's also a more larger conflict going on, but it's more in the background about these different schools of psychology with the one wanting to basically lobotomize everyone or the the, the, the camp A that's more about intervention, surgical intervention. Uh, the other group that's more about medicating. And then there's the one that seems to be represented by uh, Ben Kingsley's character, who believes that if you just, you know, meet the patient on their terms, you can find a way to connect with them and reach them through those means. Right. That's a a discussion or a conflict that really is pushed to the background a lot in this movie, and there's not, and also one that feels outdated by modern standards. Like I feel like the conflict. About mental illness and psychology or psychological intervention, as it is presented here, is not the one that's as relevant today. Right, like, because you know this feels like a very outdated uh, version of how we used to look at insanity and that sort of stuff. You that you know stuff that we've already along moved on from. So, in that sense, I'm not sure to what extent it's it's still relevant uh i'm also not that familiar with the modern field of psychology and the way the, the, the kind of obstacles that we are dealing with now in uh how we view and treat mental illnesses i feel like generally there's much more awareness now and uh especially like the whole uh concept of lobotomies that's right that's as far as i know time. that that's completely out of the window
1: right yeah I, I, I'm pretty sure, yeah. At least, yeah. at least in most first world countries that I'm aware of.
0: So yeah, when it comes to mental illnesses, I, I kind of struggle to make that feel very meaningful. I think it did so on the first when I first saw the movie, and when it, I, I saw it again. For me, the more interesting question is the one that Teddy poses at the end, which is more of a question of personal morality i guess or personal freedom yeah when he expresses like is it he he essentially like i feel like the what the text of the movie suggests is that although it seems like he's giving him or that he's relapsed into his fantasy world there's this little hint when he says to or when he proposes the question to uh, chuck or his doctor that he asks like is it better to live as a monster or to die as a good person that there's and I feel like you can also see it in Chuck's reaction. He's kind of taken aback by it, and so there's a little hint there that maybe Teddy is willingly giving himself up, willingly letting himself be lobotomized and be turned into a zombie because he knows that then that way he will he won't do any further harm. Mm, yeah. So that's basically him making a conscious choi- choice as a sane person or like he's making a moral choice to take himself out of the equation that way and that i think that that also feels more to scorsese's typical thematic issues yes in some weird way it reminded me of silence not to go in too deep into spoilers on that movie but that movie deals with the question of faith and being forced to apostatize is that the right Yes. yeah and that also ends with the question like am i like am i going to stick with my beliefs or like am i going to stick with my beliefs on a personal level or like in the own intimacy of my own private mind so to say or am i going to project them outwards in some performative way and then face the consequences of that and and then with both of those like what are the implications for that for the wider system around it like one thing i didn't think of initially with shadow island is that at the end like i thought it was kind of inspiring in the sense like oh he's he did in fact reclaim his sanity and then makes the moral choice or the personal choice to sacrifice himself so to say right but that also i didn't think of the implications of that for this broader conflict that's kind of in the background because it also implies that now the Team uh, Ben Kingsley has essentially lost, and the team lobotomy has won, and so there is this sense that the world is still kind of corrupted or crooked. Whereas, right. and that uh, the important thing was that Teddy safeguarded something of his own humanity on that individual scale, and I guess that's also what happens some somewhat at the end of Silence. That is it more important to preserve something in on like that small individual personal skill or is it better to perform something outward for the system even if that means crossing like a personal line or transgressing in uh, some other way
1: yeah and that would fit neatly into kind of the the a- a tourist reading i have of scorsese's kind of filmography as a whole and the themes that he likes to explore has been exploring through a lot of his films of kind of his own grapple his own grappling with his catholic faith and this tension between mm-hmm. kind of like i think in so, on some level like believing part of it or wanting to engage with it but also like being disconnected f- from it you can see him exploring a lot of that territory sometimes very explicitly like in, in silence throughout his filmography but often he's exploring you know ideas that are Are adjacent to that and so yeah i think i think you're on to something there there's also just like an interesting i don't know there's an interesting little maneuver there where it's kind of like it feels like he's kind of accepting his guilt but then that means he also wants to accept this kind of like punishment for that almost um but in order to do that he has to like he doesn't want the system to let him off the hook and if he just accepted his sanity, then maybe that would happen. So, in order to get kind of the judgment that he thinks he deserves, he has to kind of work around the system. It, it, it does become more complicated when you take that layer into account. Right. Yeah. Either way, I mean, whether or not that's thematically what like Scorsese is trying to get at, I I see that very mm. end bit in the way you're talking about, where I read it as he is sane. And for whatever reason, you know, we don't get to completely understand, but for whatever reason, Andrew latest, Teddy is choosing to be lobotomized. He's kind of faking the the relapse, so to speak, in order to, to be yeah. lobotomized. But it is, you know, it's ambiguous, it's ambiguous a little bit. So we, we can't really know for sure. Well, I feel like it's,
0: for me, it's always been clear enough to see that as the definitive interpretation of that scene. Right, right. It also makes it just way more... Interesting. <laughs> that, yeah, that's the yeah. way that opens up all those complexities that wouldn't be there if he yes. just relapsed and that have that be the end of it. That would mean that we've just went on this journey of Teddy reclaiming his autonomy, and then at the end it's just like hard cut to the next scene, to the final scene, and it's gone again.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I think maybe that... that That was a element in his choice that he figured, okay, I have now this moment of clarity. I'm not sure how long it's going to last. So I'm going to use like, assuming I'm going to slip back into my, my, my illness or my affliction, I'm going to use this little brief moment of autonomy that I have to make this decision without necessarily thinking of the, you know, those wider consequences. Yeah, Yeah. Like, if I feel like if he felt like, oh, I might be slipping away anyways, and that that would have also meant a failure on that systemic level, then at least like now I can preserve this little bit and make life a little bit easier for those on the rest of the island because apparently he's been, he, he was one of the worst prisoners they had who was constantly terrorizing the others and being kind of violent about his uh, his delusions.
1: Yeah. At first, I was wondering if it, if it was a thing where, like, he woke up, you know, he returns to his sanity, he remembers what happened, and he is kind of like, I can't live with this guilt, I can't live with this, so he allows mm. himself to be lobotomized. But I don't know that the lobotomy actually would remove those memories, so I don't know if that makes sense kind of as a motivation for his decision, because it, I, I don't know. I don't know about enough. It doesn't imply enough about what the lobotomy is really going to do to him to know if if that's part of his motivation as well, where he's just like, yeah. I can't.
0: I think it's suggested
1: that he basically becomes a zombie. That he's right, but does that mean detached from? Yeah. So, like, it's possible that part of his mo- motivation could be like, I just don't want to live with this reality of knowing what happened, but instead of instead of unconsciously repressing it by slipping back into a delusion he's consciously choosing to allow it to be repressed by opting for this mm. this lobotomy which will kind of put him into a similar place of just like not having to actually face up to sort of the reality of what happened um mm. like the the suggestion is kind of like he can't live with that regardless of whether he's sane or ins- like yeah, he yeah, yeah. just on some level ha- has to break, you know, he, he just can't live with it. Um, it's either delusion or lobotomy. Like he doesn't see it as an option to like be conscious and like live with the weight of the guilt or the pain of what mm-hmm. happened.
0: Yeah. I, I think that you can go hand in hand. Right. Like the, the reality of him, his life is that he does see himself as a monster. Like that's the, that's, I think, the main driving force beneath his guilt and his regret and trauma and right. uh, his grief. Um, and so, yeah, I think in that sense, he he may have just wanted to opt out of the pain of having to bear that reality. But I think it's also because that reality implies that he is a monster. He wants to kind of take himself out of the equation in that way, too. Um I think he just sort of all around benefits to yeah, not just, being
1: not, uh, not being around not anymore. being that uh, the way he, he spent the last two years yeah I don't know I don't know a whole lot about and I haven't read up on interpretations if other people feel this way I don't know a whole lot about sort of kind of like the Catholic view of purgatory um, but this movie also has mm. a very sort of purgatorial like somebody stuck in this kind of hellscape that they have to come to some sort of recognition of their own guilt in order to sort of pass from there into somewhere else. Um, You know, I feel like that idea has some kind of vague influence here, even if it's not Mm -hmm. kind of explicitly operating as kind of a metaphor for purgatory or something like that. The landscape does sort of have this otherworldly, Feel to it, like, and they're on this island.
0: Uh, I don't think it's based on a. Yeah, I don't think this is a real island, right? I think it's no, mostly think constructed so. with. Some of the CGI didn't hold up too well, but like I, I, I got a sense like there's a lot of the compositions where you saw the landscapes in the background were all, touched up or like composited from multiple. It wasn't shot on location. That's yeah, what I'm trying. Or at least like not on the location as we eventually see it right but yeah i think that's an interesting yeah angle yeah not sure what then the ending means if <laughs> right right if that's the case it's not exactly an ascension to heaven or a descent into
1: hell but it, yeah it almost feels like if he is in purg- like if he's supposed to be in purgatory in the movie i think that's the main thing that keeps me from thinking that that's mainly how this movie is functioning because if he's in yeah. that place it feels like He's just stuck in it by the end. It's not a definitive enough, like, okay, now, you, now you've now you accepted your mm-hmm. guilt and now you get to, like, you're cleansed and you get to go to heaven or something. He just kind of stays in the purgatory. I always have, like, some issues with that
0: allegory because I feel like it can be applied to so many movies because it's just such a archetypal framework where you... You can like symbolically apply it to a lot of movies without it being a deliberate or like distinct allegorical construct. Like for example, like uh, another Leonardo DiCaprio movie, The Revenant to me, that did feel like a sort of purgatory-ish movie. I made a a video about that one (laughs) because that's also very, very light spoilers for The Revenant, but there's this harrowing dreamlike journey through nature essentially, or... Like I think in my interpretation, I called it like America's purgatory. You know, you have these these roaming bison that are now all but extinct, or not anymore. But at the time, they were at some point in his American history, they were like hunted to the point of extinction. And there's that moment at the very end where he kind of breaks the fourth fourth wall as a, as a hint that he's now like that's his liberation from that movie. But I don't know. It's just to say like there's a it's it's a very classical end interesting framework i think it because it just sets the stakes so clearly for yeah a conflict and a resolution and one that feels so i was going to say primal almost but so 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 basic so foundational that it's it's hard it's, it's almost hard not to project something like that on it especially on a scorsese movie who right. as you said <laughs> uh, often deals with catholic and spiritual themes and o- often has like spiritual subtext even to his uh very very non religious movies like uh goodfellas or wolf of wall street
1: or yeah speaking of which do do you make anything specific out of the the wood the warden kind of coming out of the woodwork and just being like god is a violent god god loves violence uh y- you know there's this whole very like yeah. interesting dialogue that i can't figure out how to frame within the rest of the movie i think he's the Pro lobotomy, yeah, yeah, guy, right? He wants. He basically
0: wants to lobotomize Leo, and with the argument like, "Oh, you're you think you're violent? Well, my violence is gonna trump yours, and that's gonna be the end of you. That's how I'm gonna win. That's how we restore like God's right. order on this planet by just having the the one violence be greater than the other, and so that way it supposedly balances everything out. Yeah. I, I, I'm yeah. not sure
1: that it's it's interesting if you think about that in combination with kind of the exploration of leo being or ted not leo but his character the marshal being traumatized by the the sort of retributive uh, violence against the mm. guards at the death camp and him feeling like that was murder so he's kind of grappling that with that as being wrong they sort of have this instinct. They see all the the death camp, and then they respond to it by just killing the guards. But then later he looks back yep. on that and he goes, "That was wrong. That was murder. And he feels kind of guilt about that. But there's the, that that impulse of like, let's kill these guards. They did this horrible thing is very much this sort of like violence as ju- retributive justice that the mm-hmm. that the warden is kind of um, kind of representing so there's definitely like that is a thread that's running through the movie but i can't really figure out exactly how that ties into kind of the theme as a whole except for the fact of like him making the choice at the very end like okay i'm gonna accept this violence as maybe some sort of like punishment for what i've done um Mm -hmm. i guess he also like kills his wife kind of for that same reason to kind of retaliate against her for killing the children By the end, he's accepting that kind of for himself, which seems I don't know. its That seems antithetical mm-hmm. to the ethos that the movie is kind of one, like putting forward through the doctor mm-hmm. and this more like kind of understanding, gracious approach to kind of trying to heal people and get them to a state of like, OK, mm-hmm. we can we can overcome this wrong and put you restore your sanity versus just this cycle of, you know, we're just going to go back and forth killing each other.
0: I don't remember that conversation exactly. I think Leo counters with the idea that even though God gave us the capacity for violence, he also gave us the capacity for moral reasoning and freedom of choice, which obviously becomes pivotal towards the end where he's not reacting out of a, reflexive illness or affliction that he has in his psyche, but he's acting now out of God's given freedom, so to say. And that would also, I guess, denounce the warden's perception of violence where, you know, with Leo against the guards or against his wife, it's all like, I see a monster, I kill a monster, and there's no deliberation going on or no consideration of morality and... I think I'm not sure if that was the other psychiatrist who said to who he had a, he had a, had a different confrontation with the other the the German psychiatrist where I think he was the one who said like oh when I whenever I see a monster I act or something like, like that like I and that's when Leo sort of does the same and he tranquilizes him yeah I'm not sure if I'm remembering that correctly but it it does feel like the for me, at least the setup here is that Scorsese is showing that the lobotomy side of the arguments, uh, to put it like this, is the more inconsiderate one because it does not it's not grounded within that moral deliberation. It's just reflexiveness like, oh, we see this insane person that we don't want to deal with. Let's chop a part of his
1: brain off or something yeah, like yeah. that.
0: That's my take on it, at least.
1: Well, I think it's I think it's an interesting uh layered movie. There's a lot of obviously we got into some interesting discussion surrounding specific details here. The end, I think, does an interesting thing of that I mean by the end, I mean the very end. I think the that kind of final scene twist, it, not really a twist, but that final scene moment is the most interesting sort of uh, aspect of the the movie in in terms of kind of posing this final moral question, you know, and maybe I've come around. I think this conversation in some way has made me, as we've talked about it, has made me come around a mm-hmm. little bit in thinking that there might be a little bit more depth here than I assumed, at least last night when I was rewatching it or feeling. But it's all it's still I think pretty messy and like uh, mostly. Mostly interesting as kind of this sounding board and thing to discuss, and as in this original hey, experience with this kind of cool twist, than it is as this like this narrative that I can engage with that kind of speaks to me on some kind of deeper, uh, deeper level intuitively. I think that's kind of where I'm landing on this. Yeah, maybe we'll have to explore... Maybe we'll have to... Exp- I think... I think Scorsese it's interesting that this is the I think the first Scorsese we're coming to because <laughs> I think there's some others <laughs> that deal with maybe similar ideas in a in a much more fleshed out and like meaningful way so we might have to I think this is an a e- very entertaining movie but I think there's some others by him that kind of engage with the same thematic ideas in a little bit more nuanced and deep way um so maybe we'll we'll have to Visit one of those in the future, and and uh, and see what we can find there. Yeah, for me, that's that's why I said at the beginning. Like, I, I keep forgetting this is
0: a Scorsese movie. It doesn't <laughs> feel like his his traditional. Like when I think of Scorsese, I think of like the the extremes on the one end, Goodfellas, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, to the the Life of Sin, and, and on the other side, right. there's uh, Last Temptation of Christ, Kundun, uh, Silence, now the more the other side, the, the virtue, the, the distinctive search for morality and spirituality. And yeah, Shadow Island, it kind of fits oddly in in on that spectrum, I think. I always remembered it as a fun experience, as in as one that definitely is thought-provoking and fun to analyze and kind of too fun to pick apart. Um, Maybe not as compelling to rewatch over and over and over again as you uh, would a movie that is more morally dense, or at least not in its implications towards the end, but in the entire experience. Uh, That's just a little bit more fleshed out, a little bit more um, consistent, I guess. But uh, yeah, overall, I think it's uh, an interesting insight into Scorsese in the way he would handle a different genre and... uh, yeah, we should definitely talk about more because uh, uh, Scorsese definitely is one of my favorites, and we should talk about him more often.
1: Yes, yeah, we've we, we're just scratching the surface here. We'll get we'll get <laughs> into some of the good ones, I'm sure, at some point in the future. So, but I'm glad mm-hmm. this w- I'm glad we talked about this one because this is one that I wanted to revisit for sure. So, and uh, I think yeah, it was fun same. fun to do that and fun to chat about that here. So yeah i guess tell us your suggestions for which scorsese we should we should dig into because there's a lot of them that we could and we won't have time for all of them probably so (laughs) unless we do this podcast for a decade (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) well thank you all for listening if you enjoy the show and want to help us keep it going be sure to follow us on our creator-owned streaming service nebula cinema of meaning is a nebula original show meaning that here you can experience our podcast ad free listen to all of our episodes a week early and get instant access to all of our monthly bonus episodes. We've covered Babylon, Avatar the Way of Water, the new All Quiet on the Western Front and many, many others. Uh, so you're basically getting a whole new catalog of episodes. You can sign up directly at our Nebula page, that's nebula.tv slash of meaning, or just follow the link in the show notes and we'll see you again next time.